Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Listening to Spurs Cast, episode 482. My name is Paul Garcia and I am the host of the Spurs Cast. Joining me on this episode will be Jeff Platt of Spectrum News, a sports reporter over at Spectrum News. You can follow him at, on Twitter at Jeff Platt. In our discussion, Jeff and I go through a, a different a number of topics. We recap the Spurs' last two games against the Utah Jazz and Houston Rockets. We discussed the um, latest trade rumors involving Willie Hernan Gomez and Stanley Johnson uh, with some interest from the Spurs into those players. We'll discuss the upcoming, the the change that happened with the the front court where Davis Bertans recently started in a game ahead of Pau Gasol and if we think that's a short-term or long-term move for the Spurs. And then lastly, we'll preview the Spurs' upcoming four games of their rodeo road trip uh, before I record the episode next week. So please enjoy my conversation with Jeff Platt. And now joining me on SpursCast, episode 482, is Spectrum um, Spectrum News' Jeff Platt. How are you doing, Jeff? Paul, I'm good, man. How are you? Doing well, man. Uh, thanks again for joining me, man. You're actually the first non-Project Spurs writer to join me since I've taken over the hosting duties of the SpursCast. Hey, that's awesome, and I love, Paul, how we kind of flipped the roles. We've, we brought you on our Sports Night show, I mean, what? But five or six times by now, so I like I like making you ask the questions. Yeah, it's a little bit different, but I think I've gotten more <laughs> comfortable with it. Thanks, man. Uh, okay, good, good, good. Spurs class listeners, make sure if you're on Twitter, you follow Jeff. His, his screen, his, his, his Twitter handle, should I say, is at Jeff Platt. Um, let's go to begin, Jeff. So what we do first is we're gonna kind of um, talk about the Spurs' last two games because that was the last time yeah. I had recorded. So um, you know, first last Thursday, they uh, it was a big game. They played the Houston Rockets. They ended up losing that one. Uh, you know, didn't really have much of a chance. They went down really early uh, by 19 points, and they got it down within six in that fourth quarter. But really, you know, it, we kind of all knew that Houston was going to take that game. Um, just right. kind of your your thoughts on that game? Yeah, you know, I think slow starts have started to plague the Spurs just a little bit, and I know we'll get into that again when we discuss the Spurs Jazz game. But the Rockets were just too good right off the bat. I feel like, and Pop told us this after the game Paul that that the Spurs offense was was pretty stagnant you know when that ball doesn't move and they simply rely on posting up LaMarcus Aldridge who was fine that night by the way the ball gets stuck a little bit it hurts them on the offensive end and when they're missing shots and allowing Houston to get out on transition that's what will really crush them and that's I think what crushed them in this game it is quite the start for the Rockets James Harden at 12 points in the first quarter and Paul, I mean, you've seen the Rockets throughout the year. When they get going like they did in the first quarter, they are an incredibly tough team to beat. Like the guys said in the locker room after the game, I thought the effort was there for the Spurs maybe for the last 
two and a half quarters or so. Mm-hmm. They started to at least contain James Harden a little bit. The ball started to move a little bit better on the offensive end. They, they ended up with 21 assists. But overall, that start is too much to overcome when you're facing one of the best teams in the league. Oh, for sure. And, you know, from, from what I took away was that you really saw the Spurs' you know, lack of scoring, um, I guess, output or their challenges there. Because, you know, when you look at the base numbers, they actually held Houston to just 102 points. That's actually really good yeah. to hold a Houston offense. Yeah. Um, you know, the Rockets did get 42 threes, but they didn't shoot a great percentage from there. Um, and then, like, I think it was Danny Green that same night where he says basically, like, you know, defense does win championships, do, does win championships, but you have to be able to score as well. And that's just something where it was such a chore for the Spurs to score the basketball that night. Uh, it was just kind of Danny and, and LaMarcus that had it going, and that was kind of it. So um, that was definitely a game where you see that they missed, you know, Kawhi Leonard and Rudy Gay and are trying to find that scoring punch. For sure. And what's interesting to me, Paul, and I'm curious as to your take on this, LaMarcus Aldridge had. 14 points in the first half, and the Spurs offense clearly struggled. They only scored 38 points in that first half. In the second half, Aldridge only had two points, but I feel like the Spurs offense was significantly better, and it shows on the stat sheet. They scored 53 points in the second half. Do you take anything away from that, or is that simple, small sample size, variance, et cetera, et cetera? No, I mean, that, 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 well, that's, what I take away from that is that they're running more of a motion-type attack, uh, more pick-and-roll basketball rather than the post-ups like you mentioned mm. earlier. And, you yeah. know, the post-ups are good, but not, not against a team like Houston who's going to be switching everything, uh, getting two two or three defenders going at Aldridge mostly on every single attempt. So I think that's, that spreading the ball around, moving, moving players off screen action – um, pick and roll action gets Houston's defense moving and they can't double team or, or you know or get, get into uh, some players comfort zones just as much and I think that's why you saw the Spurs have a better score you're right the offense did uh, go play way better in the second half and I think that's something that you saw at the ball movement too and that was something that Pop had said uh, how they weren't stuck in the mud in the in like as opposed to that first half right and they started to, to go small ball as well when they <clears throat> inserted Patty Mills into the starting lineup in the second half and moving Gasol to the bench, and I thought that helped all units click a little bit more. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so then, Jeff, the uh, the Spurs uh, hosted the Utah Jazz on Saturday night, and the Jazz, who were, who were without Donovan Mitchell because he had the flu, he had previously put up <laughs> yeah. 40 points the night before. Um, you know, the Spurs were without a few guys, too. The, the Jazz ended up coming into San Antonio, and on this night, it wasn't the Spurs' uh, offense that was struggling. It was actually their defense, which is very rare this season for a San Antonio defense. Um Ricky Rubio had a, had a career-high night, 34 points. The guy could not miss, miss from the floor. Um, I think at one point he was like 9 of 9 from the floor. He finished 11 of 14 overall. So Utah ends up putting 120 points without pretty much their best scorer in, um, in, uh, in Mitchell. And the Spurs, you know, had a good night offensively, 111 points, but it, it wasn't enough because they couldn't get stops. What did you think of that game? Well, I was just extremely surprised by it all. The Jazz come into San Antonio, one of the toughest places to play especially on the second night of a back-to-back, which the Jazz were on. We got the news pretty late, and you and I were both pretty bummed out about it that we wouldn't get the chance to see Donovan Mitchell play in person because he's been simply outstanding this season. And I'll I'll be honest with you, Paul, even though the line was just six or seven and and held at that with the Mitchell news, I, I didn't see many scenarios in which the Jazz would win this game. And my God, the Ricky Rubio game, <laughs> 34 points, 11 of 14 from the field. He hit his first nine shots. The man could not miss. Uh, so I really wouldn't be as worried if I'm San Antonio based on this one game and Ricky Rubio's one performance, because 
that's just not going to happen. If you let a guy like Rubio take his 18-footers, if you if you force a guy like Rubio to shoot some three-pointers, overall that's going to work out for you in the long run. Now, in this one game, it did not because Ricky Rubio was on fire. So it was another slow start. But overall, the offense, Paul, at least to me, clicked a little bit better just throughout the entire game. Both units were good. L.A. was great. He had 31 points. He was 12 of 19 from the field. Uh, so all I really take away from this one, Paul, is that it's an NBA regular season game. Anything can happen. And variance played a huge role. Just look at Ricky Rubio's line. Yeah, you know, it wasn't just Ricky Rubio's night. It was actually Royce O'Neal's night, too. Uh, he, yeah, Royce O'Neal. He had, uh, so I remember looking Who it up. It was like third quarter. I look up his career his career high. He uh he had 12 points. was the most points he's ever scored in an NBA game. The guy goes for 18 that evening. Um, <laughs> part of that had to do with scheme because, uh, you know, like you mentioned, they cannot stop Rubio. Something that I haven't seen the Spurs do this to Kyrie Irving, to James Harden, to all these guys, Stephen Curry. They were actually trapping the ball handler on pick and rolls, which was Rubio because of how dangerous he was right. coming off that mid-range jumper or going to the rim. That they, their, their whole defense just collapsed where, where the Utah would pass to the roll man. And then that guy would hit a uh, pass to O'Neal in the corner for an open three. I mean, it happened time after time. And I, that's actually why I was very surprised at why, why their defense suffered so much, San Antonio. It was because of that that whole trapping scheme. That that was just a totally different approach than the Spurs are used to um, each night, you know, despite not having Kawhi Leonard. So, you know, you're right. I think that the, the one thing you take there is, you know, Rubio doesn't do this consistently. Neither does Royce O'Neal. Right. And, uh, you know, <laughs> the Spurs, let's just go ahead and go into our, our, our next topic now, um, our first topic of the show, uh, Jeff, which is uh, the, the change of the starting lineup. So so you mentioned it yeah. going back to that Houston game. In the second half, Popovich elected not to start Gasol, and instead he started Patty Mills, which basically put Kyle Anderson at the four. Well, then right. the next game, he ends up starting uh, Davis Bertans at, right right at tip-off, basically, because even, you know, when I, when I, I get to my seat in the arena about, man, like 10 minutes before, you know, it's ready to go, tip-off's ready. Yeah. And, and, the, and the monitors tell us who's going to start. And at, at that point, Powell was still in the starting lineup. And all of a sudden, when, when the announcer says Davis Bertans, I was like, what in the world? Is this guy starting? <laughs> Wait, so, what? Yeah. yeah, so it kind of threw everyone off. Nobody was prepared for that. And you see that, you know, scoring 111 points, their offense was actually really good for the first time. Um, I put a piece up on Project Spurs on Tuesday, kind of just comparing the two-man lineups between Gasol and Bertans and Aldridge and Gasol, I mean, uh, Aldridge and Gasol and Aldridge and Bertans. And, and something you come away from some, some of those numbers, Jeff, is that, you know, with Powell, the Spurs score 102.8 points per 100, which is 26th uh, when it's him and Alders, that two-man lineup. When it's him and Bertans, they're scoring 109.4 points per 100, wow. which is which basically says with Powell and Aldridge, they're scoring like the 26th offense of the Brooklyn Nets. With Bertans <laughs> and Aldridge, they're scoring like the fifth best offense of the Cleveland Cavaliers. So um, my first question to you is, do you think this is just more a defense, uh, a move? scheme-wise, to kind of get Gobert and Favors out of the paint? Or do you think this might be something long-term? You know, Paul, to be honest with you, I, I genuinely think that this is a move the Spurs are seriously considering long-term. And and maybe I should qualify that a little bit as to I'm not sure they would still go with this move once they do get Rudy Gay and Kawhi Leonard back. But in the meantime, <clears throat> before they come back, I get the feeling, and, and correct me if you think I'm wrong, Paul, that the Spurs are starting to like going pretty small. Oh. Where, where you sometimes see Tony Parker and Patty Mills and Bryn Forbes and Danny Green along with a big. 
I mean, that is super small ball, especially with the Spurs. And I feel like that kind of experimenting at this point in the season has actually gone pretty well. What do you think? No, I mean, I think I think that's exactly the point there is that because they're missing their, their two dominant um, ball handlers in uh, Kawhi and Gay, they have to find scoring and, and a way to kind of improve the offense somehow. Because, you know, overall, the whole season, they're like they're bottom 15 in the league offensively. We all know that's been their main issue. And, yeah. and this is what Pop's done. He's he's gone to, to lineups where Manu's had to play the four, where Danny Green's had to play the four, you know. And he's he, and it's it's weird to say, but Popovich is actually playing you know 2018 basketball where you just have one big and a bunch of you know <laughs> guards and, and wings out there. Um, and I think too that for the interim, I think that they will kind of keep Bertans in there just because you know they need scoring, you need shooting on the floor. And another sure. another stat I want to read here is um you know with Powell and Aldridge on the floor, they're only 24 percent of their baskets come from from three point range. When it's um, Aldridge and, and uh, Davis Bertans, 32% of their baskets come from three-point range, wow. which basically says with Powell and Aldridge, they're like the 28th um, three-point shooting team of the Milwaukee Bucks. But then when you have uh, Bertans and Aldridge, they're like the ninth best shooting team of uh, the Atlanta Hawks. So, um, so yeah, I think that the numbers show it a little bit. Uh, something pops in on Monday. He was questioned about this decision. Uh, he's about you know starting Bertans, and, and he said, uh, we'll see. We'll see who's healthy and who we're playing and all that sort of thing and just make adjustments accordingly. So he, he didn't really say that, you know, this is a permanent thing. But I'm with you where I think that until Kawhi comes back, I, I think this is kind of – they're going to have to do something experimental with this starting lineup to get more scoring going. Yeah, I think so. And I also felt like the looks that Patty Mills specifically was getting when he was pushed off the ball significantly when – maybe Parker was in along with Forbes, along with Patty Mills, were better, that it, it just seemed to click a little bit more specifically for Patty Mills, that this these changes of sorts allowing Patty Mills to play off the ball for a significant amount of time. Ever since we've seen Tony Parker come off the bench, we've effectively seen him come off the bench with Patty Mills. And I think that's allowed him to create a little more spacing for himself to get slightly cleaner looks off which has helped this offense significantly now listen patty's a shooter so he's going to go through his ups and downs we saw the downs against houston when he was 0 for 6 from beyond the arc but we saw the upswing against utah when he started to hit a couple shots mm -hmm. and a couple big shots at that i do not think that looking way ahead maybe into the postseason that you can afford to play Parker and Mills for that much time together strictly because of what the defensive effort would the defensive performance would turn out to be oh you know I, I totally agree with you because you know in, in the playoffs rotations get shorter so they're not just going to be going against yeah. bench units they're going to be going against start starter level players most of the time and those kind of in the playoffs Every possession counts that much more where teams will, will find each of them and put them in a post up or try to get them, you know, isolated one on one. And I think that, yeah, yeah that's going to be that's going to be a concern for them, um, you know, trying to fit those two guys on the floor at the same time together uh, when the playoffs do come. But, you know, assuming that the Spurs are healthy, I think that you would see a, a drop in minutes from one of the two. I don't think they're going to be on the floor together should a playoff scenario come by. Um, but for the interim, you know, this is kind of what Popovich needs. He needs scoring. And you're right. Where Patty's getting way more spot up looks, you know, more more of a, of a two guards type of shots now that now that Parker's in there kind of being able to drive into the paint penetrate and kick out to, to Patty um, yeah and, and I think go ahead I think Paul a good example of of all of this is when you look at the numbers for the three-man lineups and you see the three-man unit of Forbes and Patty and Parker 
have an offensive rating of 109.6, which, like you said a little bit earlier, is is sky high. Now, their defensive rating is about 107. And then you also look at the three-man unit of Ginobili, Patty Mills, and Tony Parker, and the offensive rating is 113.2, which is extremely high. Yeah, that's, that's like... 110 points <laughs> per 100 possessions. But on the defensive end, their defensive rating is 120, which Oof, is yeah, no, you don't. absolutely terrible. So, so there's a balance that you have to find there. Exactly, yeah, and that's that's kind of the thing right now is what I took away from from the whole when I was digging through the numbers when I was going back to Aldridge and Bertans as opposed to Aldridge and Powell. The Spurs are going to lose some defensively, you know, with with Bertans, where um, they're going to put more opponents on the free throw line because he's not a rim protector. Um, sure. The opponent's going to shoot a better field goal percentage overall. But it's just a slight dip. You know, I, I looked at it, and, and the numbers show that, you know, with Powell, they're like the second-best defense of themselves. With Bertans, they become like the third-best of the Toronto Raptors. So it's not too much of a okay, drop. Okay. But then again, you know, we don't know how this will be, you know, sustained over a long period of time. So I think that we're both kind of in agreement that they'll kind of, they, they may keep it this way until Kawhi gets back, and then they'll figure it out again from there. I agree with you 100%. Okay, um, so Jeff, now the uh, going to our second topic, uh, the, the trade deadline's coming up on Thursday. I'm actually monitoring Twitter just because you know when you got to watch Woj's Twitter account whenever. Yeah, that's what you that's what you have to do on this week. Yeah, is just refresh, refresh. Or you don't have to actually click refresh anymore on Twitter if you're on a computer, which is nice. The tweets just pop up. Yeah, which is great. <laughs> but you have to be glued to it, or you're going yeah. to miss something. Hey, I have your alerts on. So, um, so, yeah. so, th- so th- it's coming up on Thursday at 2 p.m. Um, the Spurs over the weekend on Saturday they, they were um, rumored to have interest in two players. Um, the first one uh, is. Stanley Johnson from the, the Pistons, um, and the second guy is Willie Hernan Gomez of the New York Knicks. Uh, Michael Scotto of The Athletic reported this news on Saturday. Um, so just real quick on Johnson, he's a 6'7", small forward. Um, he's still 21 on a really good deal where he, he's only making $3 million this year. He, he's guaranteed $3.9 ne- uh, next season, and then the following year, in 2020, he's going to be a restricted free agent. Um, looking at, at Hernan Gomez, he's 6'11", 23 years old. Uh, he's making 1.4 million this year, 1.5 next year, and then uh, on 2020 season or summer, he's only he's only a, he has a non-guaranteed 1.7 million. So these guys are on really good contracts. They're still young. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the case of Hernan Gomez, he he actually asked the Knicks to be traded, or he wants more playing time uh, because he wants to to develop more. Um, the Knicks are said to want significant um, re- or a significant return to either draft picks or a talented young player. Um, so, so there's a lot going on here. My question to you, Jeff, is um, do you think that – how far do you think this, this stuff is going? Do you think that there's just kind of offering salary and picks, like maybe like Laverne and Brandon Paul for one of these guys and, and picks? Or do you think that the, the Knicks or Pistons, who are both fighting for the playoffs trying to get in there, want a, a player of impact, like somebody like Kyle Anderson, a Brent Forbes, or a Davis Bertans? Yeah, you know, I, I think the Pistons – would be looking for somebody who could immediately become a rotation player mm-hmm. because that they made that very clear when they made the Blake Griffin trade is that <clears throat> maybe Stan Van Gundy's job is on the line. We need to win. We need to win now. We need to sell out our new stadium, which they've done a terrible job of doing yeah. so far, <laughs> um, which was help, the attendance has been helped a little bit with Blake, but we have to go out and acquire assets that could help us immediately and stanley johnson's this piece where i think it, his name has kind of been attached to the spurs for the last yes, couple of seasons it's been yes where, yeah he's he was a top 10 pick in 2015 and i think plenty of teams around the league still see a bit of potential in him his shootings 
just been really, really bad throughout his NBA career, shooting under 37% from the field, under 30% from beyond the three-point arc. And you know the Spurs, they probably think that they can fix anybody's shot with Chip England, and he probably can't. But I'm not sure what the Spurs would be willing to give up for Johnson that would make sense for the Pistons as well. And with the Hernan Gomez, I, I just I'm not sure if the Spurs could see enough potential. It's hard because he hasn't played as much. He's a year later in the league. He's a second-round pick. Um, I'm just not sure how they can gauge enough to give the Knicks, you know, a valuable draft pick because they're, this first second round pick is not is not that valuable because it's going to be in the 53-ish to 60 range. So the Knicks, if they if they just want a second round pick for Hernan Gomez, they're going to go somewhere else to get it, right? Yeah, no, I definitely agree there. And then also the part about how he wants uh, minutes in a role, you know, that's just something you're not yeah. you're not going to get under Pop, especially with you know less than 30 games or less than 40 games left in the season. Um, I, I would scratch Hernan Gomez there. I think that there, there may be something there with Johnson, just because you're right. You know, it's been like almost the last two trade deadlines where the Spurs have been rumored to have interest in him. Um, like I mm-hmm. mentioned, he's still just 21. He has a really good physical body at the six seven spot where he, he's already known for his defensive skills. It's just that shooting that's that's his one weakness. Um, I think something to to, to note to note that is that uh, the guy who wrote this up, Michael Scotto, this report uh, as of as of Tuesday that we're that you and I are recording this this episode, uh, he says that. They were just exploratory talks between the Spurs and these teams, and that, oh, okay. And, okay. That, and that no players were actually offered. So I, I think this was kind of just San Antonio doing their due diligence, maybe having their eye on two guys that they, they were just kind of looking at. And Scotto basically says that the Spurs are calling people, but they're keeping it very close under the radar. They don't want a lot of stuff getting out right now uh, in terms of who, who they're talking to trade-wise. Um, so, Jeff, I guess – Continue with this this whole this whole trade deadline thing. Um, you know, last week I had I had um, our Project Spurs writer uh, Tom Petrini on here, and I kind of just asked it on a scale of zero to one hundred percent. You know, how likely do you think this it is that the Spurs make a move? Uh, I had said ten last week, and Tom had said fifteen. What do you think yours is your your gauge here? Hundred um, percent means like they're gonna do it, or zero percent? You know, they're sure. they're not, definitely not doing it. Uh, Paul, mine's mine's going to be pretty low just because I don't see them trading a piece of their rotation and as we mentioned i don't see their second round pick carrying too much value and i don't see the spurs getting rid of their first round pick in what could be a very deep draft so as far as percent goes i'll go with 6.24 percent <laughs> all right i like that the approximation right there yeah Specific. I, I think that you know the fans don't want to hear this because they, they you know they, they they get so um swept up in the, in the trade rumors like to hear of course everybody loves yeah trades. they're fun to see but you know you got to be realistic here i just don't think that that, that they're going to do anything um if they do make anything of significance i think that might be a sign that maybe Kawhi's health is a little bit worse than, than we're hearing um as far as Great the long term you know maybe if they if i say they try to get somebody out of the door just to shed salary um, for looking toward the summer, I think that's again that that's a question that that's a move where they they may be looking uh, at, at next summer rather than than this coming um, than finishing out this year in terms of where their player health is. But I think that they're okay with this team, you know, hoping that Kawhi and Rudy get back to, to together, they can kind of have some games to click with with this whole group and see what they have in the playoffs against the Warriors and the Rockets. Yeah, I think so. And also, what's important to mention, Paul, as we come up on the trade deadline, Zach Lowe wrote about this on ESPN. The guys with expiring contracts are not as valuable as they once were 
for example, Tony Parker, not, not that the Spurs would ever trade Tony yeah, Parker yeah. because of the connection he has to the franchise, but when you have a guy making $15 million a year who's coming off your books in the offseason, in the past, that's been looked at as an, as an extremely valuable trade asset. And I think that that shifted just a little bit. Not that that's not valuable at all. It's still important to teams. But uh, I think teams are, are clearly looking at their future as far as picks are concerned, especially when the Warriors are so dominant. Yeah, no, no, definitely. That's that's kind of um, I, I read that Zach Lowe piece too, so that's definitely something to keep in mind. Um, okay, Jeff, uh, and it's first cast listeners. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by ADT. When it comes to something as important as your family safety, you need real protection with ADT. What does real protection mean for you? Well, real protection means you can get all of the latest innovation in smart home security from ADT combined with 24-7 monitoring from the most trusted name in home security. You'll get a team of professionals designing and installing a secure smart home just for you, including 18,000 employees safeguarding you and your family, along with a connection to first responders. Your secure smart home includes everything from video doorbells and indoor and outdoor cameras to smart locks and lights controlled from the ADT Go app or the sound of your voice. You can also get professionally monitored carbon monoxide and smoke detectors. Everything is custom designed to fit your home, all from the nation's number one smart home security provider. You can even get safety on the go in the car or when the kids are at school with the ADT Go app with an SOS button. Ready to learn more? Visit ADT.com backslash podcast to learn more about how ADT can design and install a secure smart home just for you. Thank you for tuning in to SpursCast, episode 482. I'm, my name is Paul Garcia. I'm joined by Jeff Platt of Spectrum News. You can follow him on Twitter, at Jeff Platt. Uh, so, Jeff, now what we're going to do is we're going to go into our, our SpursCast Twitter questions, where I go on Twitter and I ask the, 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 the listeners to send us some, some questions. Uh, there weren't too many this week. Um, the first one comes from at Greco Swab. They ask, um, remind me why San Antonio let Dwayne Dedman walk and then resign Pau Gasol <laughs> for $16 million. Now Dwayne Dedman is hoping for a trade to a team that will pick up his measly $6 million option. Was this a San Antonio gaffe? Uh, so, so just a quick a few notes here. Um, Dedman is, is making $6 million this season with the Hawks. Next season, he actually has a player option for $6.3 million with, with uh, Atlanta. But so, so it's not the Hawks making this choice. It's more so his where, where you're hearing that he's going to opt out of that deal and try to, try to go play somewhere else. I guess he doesn't want to be on, you know, in, a, in a team that's basically tanking right now. Um, and from the Hawks' perspective, everyone's available. Um, just kind of your response to that, kind of why, why, why they chose Deadman, I mean, why they chose Powell over Deadman? Well, uh, I'm not quite sure that the <clears throat> fit of Dwayne Deadman into what the Spurs are trying to accomplish was equal to the fit that they saw in Pau Gasol. That makes sense. Not everybody fits into this Spurs culture and that that's not taking a shot at Dwayne Dedman that's just that they saw Pal Gasol as a better fit into what they were trying to do I think Dedman has has really proved himself this year in Atlanta averaging about 10 and 8 per game he might be a valuable asset he's started to shoot the three which we would see Paul on occasion when we got to see this first practice or when we got to see Dedman warm up for a game that he had that corner three going yeah, pretty that. well. And he's almost he's turned that into an asset in Atlanta where he's shooting about 38% from beyond the arc. So I think in these next couple of days, 
he might draw a lot of interest. And like you mentioned, Atlanta, they will sell off anything at this point in the season for any kind of assets. But again, I think that the Spurs really, really like Pau Gasol and how he fits, especially into their culture and especially into their offense. And I think Pau Gasol's been really good this year. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, well, first for the Deadman part, um, I think last year you could see it written on the wall that San Antonio was bringing him back because yeah. he, he was a starter there for most of the season, but then by March his his, his minutes dropped significantly. When the playoffs rolled around, he only played like eight minutes a game. You know, he, he really just fell the, the rotation completely. So that was kind of a sign that that they weren't looking to to use him, especially, you know, in such a critical time. Um, and then the Pal thing, you know, they won't say it because they can't, but I think that, you know, him opting out of that player option to give them the flexibility to try to get a free agent like Chris Paul, even though Paul, you know, got traded to Houston. I think that was yeah. also something where, you know, LaMarcus likes playing with him by his side. Uh, they, they've developed good, really good chemistry. And, you know, defensively, the Spurs have been really good this year. Obviously, they don't play the Warriors every night. So his, his defense, you know, his, his liabilities don't look as bad. But against every other team, look, they're the second best defense in the league without without um, Kawhi Leonard right now. Right, um, right. You know, I, I read you the numbers earlier about how, how you know, how, how, those, how the defensive numbers do slip when you put Bertans next to Aldridge rather than Powell. And, you know, he's done his job where the Spurs are just basically making him drop on every pick and roll. And teams don't want to shoot mid-range jumpers these days. So it's actually been pretty effective. It's not like they have to play Kyrie Irving and Stephen Curry and, you know, James Harden every single night. You know, not everybody's a great three-point shooter off the dribble like those three guys. So overall, it's working out for them with Powell. And, you know, like I mentioned, if they do want to chase a, a big free agent this summer, there, there's going to be a few teams that can take his, the last part of his contract, which is $16.8 million, and then they can just waive him for the final year. Um, so, so it's still kind of a movable contract, um, especially you know if they try to get into the, to the LeBron James sweepstakes or somebody else like that. Yeah, it's movable. And hey, Timofey Mozgov and Lou Aldang also make about $16 million a year. Who would you rather have? Yeah, exactly. I like that. I like <laughs> that. That's actually you're the first person to read that one up on here about when they complain about pal. So, um, Moving on to our next question, Jeff. Uh, it's a pretty simple question. Uh, it comes from at Mr. Durrell, 1980. He asks, where's Kawhi? End of question. <laughs> oh, well, I, I mean, that's a good question. <laughs> and I think that that is the most important question that any Spurs fan could ask at this point yeah. in the season. Um, my impression, Paul, and, and this is based mostly on speculation, it, there's a little bit that we can see here and there is that Kawhi will come back this season, that he will start that comeback process late February, sometime after the All-Star break. Maybe it's on the rodeo road trip. Maybe it's when the Spurs get home at the very end of the month. We see him in Spurs warm-ups occasionally for games. That's a decent sign. If he was not close to hardcore practices – then I, I think they would lean mostly towards rest and not be putting him through tough workouts at this point in the year. So I think that this comeback process will start again, and it will start again mm, relatively soon. Again, that's mostly speculation, but that in the next month or so, I think we'll see Kawhi Leonard back on the floor at least for a little bit. I, I don't know where you would gauge that at, though, right now. Okay, my, my target date for him, you know, obviously this is just speculation, too. We, you and I, like, like we should just preface. We have no, we don't, we're not a team doctor. We don't know the extent of his quad injury. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, you know, they have said that they're, they're, he's just out indefinitely. Where they're not going to show, they're not, he's, not gonna, he's not expected to miss the entire season. So I think my target date for him to return is March 2nd. That's kind of, that, that's, the, that's the day okay. where 
they have 20 games left in the season. That's it. And then playoffs are coming. So I feel like you got to have him in by that point, him and Rudy Gay, because that gives you 20 games to try to build some sort of rotation, some sort of consistency. Because, I mean, you've seen it in those nine games that he played. There's no – there's there, it's like two totally different teams when he's out there and when he's not out there. Um, you know, these guys are way more comfortable without him right now just because he's such a high-usage player. Um, and so I feel like you got to have more than, than, than 15 games. And I think that if he's not back by March 2nd, that 20-game deadline, I think that you're really – I think that that's the point where you start to worry if we get into second week of March. He's still not back where I think they're just going to shut him down completely. I don't know if they even bring him back. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Paul. And looking at the schedule specifically, that date would allow you to – working back into the rotation with home games against the Lakers and the Grizzlies, which is a pretty good spot before you come across your major tests when you're at Golden State and at Oklahoma City and at Houston. Now, no one regular season game takes on too much importance in this comeback process. But like you mentioned, to be able to string 20-ish games together is really important as the Spurs head towards the postseason. And I want to touch on real quick a point that you made a little bit earlier. It's a great point that if the Spurs do something crazy this week, as far as the trade deadline is concerned, then they have significant concerns about Kawhi Leonard long-term. Yeah, no, no, I I totally agree with you. That's something to watch, um, you know, in these next two days. And like I said, you know, the calendar is kind of going to kind of just tell us that what's happening with Kawhi here. You know, if, if, if you start getting closer to the end of March and he's not back, I think that's it. Like, I, I just don't think they're going to take that risk of making him play, you know, 10 or five games. And, oh, here you go. The playoffs are here. I, I just think they'll have to punt the season at that point. So, so we'll see. I think yeah. I think both of us have more optimism that he and Rudy Gay will be back either by late February or for sure early March. Um, and I think, I think what's also important to note is that we don't – we have not had the chance to talk with Kawhi at all since the Spurs – shelved him again a couple weeks ago we, we got to talk to him once before he began his initial comeback and I feel like you could tell he still wasn't completely comfortable even when he was in those nine games because he kept taking it as a daily process he would say well yeah I mean tomorrow we'll just see how it feels and go from there yeah the next day we'll just see how it feels and go from there and that that's probably not what you wanted to hear when Kawhi would wake up the next morning and you would just have no idea if he was good to go or not or if he was comfortable with playing or not. You no, know, that's that's definitely a good point too where you know like you mentioned like we we don't, we don't get to we don't we don't first of all we don't get to see him much much at practice because they never practice. Uh, so we don't know yeah. we don't know how how his rehab's going behind the scenes at, at their facility. Uh, and then like you mentioned, you know when when you're not an active player, you don't have to talk to the media, so he hasn't been required to you know give any kind of interviews on his on his on his update. Uh, I think Pop was asked about it a few a few games ago, and he kind of just gave more of like a you know he'll he'll be back when he comes back, like kind of an answer like basically <laughs> sooner than like, yeah, here his here's infamous. a tip to anybody who asks Pop about injuries. Do not ask is X player getting closer. Because as Pop will remind you time and time again, of course he is getting closer because it's just the next day. Yeah. If Kawhi's out, Kawhi could be out for the next three years, but he's closer today than he was yesterday. So please, please keep that in mind if you're asking Pop anything. Yeah, that's actually the quote I was going for. That's the, that's actually the uh, last the last interview that he kind of gave us an update on Kawhi. Yeah. Which is the, the he gets whole, closer every day. Yeah, he's getting closer every day was his response. So yeah, I mean, you know, Pop, he's just going to give his own... <laughs> perspective on things and that's just the way it is so um yeah we still basically know nothing about when Kawhi's coming back uh all in all so we'll see if he does come back like Jeff and I mentioned with some of those target dates yeah 
Uh, okay, Jeff, the last thing we're going to do is kind of preview the Spurs' upcoming four games um, before uh, I'll record the next Spurs cast episode sometime next week. Um, so what I'll do, Jeff, is I'll kind of read you their, their, the day they play, their record, uh, how they've been doing lately, their offense mm-hmm. and defense, and then just give me a, a, just a quick pick of who you think is going to win that game. Okay, yeah, so, you got it. Uh, their first game's um, at Phoenix on Wednesday, the first game of the rodeo road trip. Uh, the Suns are 18-36, 13th in the West, 2-8 in their last 10. Offensively, they're 27th, 104.6 points for 100. Defensively, 30th, dead last in the NBA, 112 points to 2 points, uh, 112.2 points for 100. Um, Kawhi Leonard and Rudy Gay are both out for this game. The Spurs have already announced. Uh, who do you have in this one, Jeff, between the Spurs and, and the Suns? I'm going to go out on a huge limb, Paul, and, and take the Spurs uh, in this one. Now, I, I would take the Suns if they were playing a couple teams in the NBA. Maybe I would take the Suns against uh, the Mavs, the Hawks, and maybe the Cavs at this point in the season. <laughs> Listen, I, I think the Suns are extremely entertaining to watch and that Devin Booker is quite the player. The Spurs did a really good job at containing Devin Booker a couple weeks ago when the Suns came to the AT&T Center and the Spurs held the Suns to under 90 points. Listen, this is a Suns team that is rebuilding. They have a lot of young guys. Some of their young guys are fun to watch, like Booker, like Jackson. But Greg Monroe's gone. That There's a clear sign of which way this team is going, and it's to get minutes for their guys, for, for Ulysses, for Dragon Bender, for Marquise Chris. So they may be entertaining. They may be competitive on their home floor, but I still expect the Spurs to win comfortably. To start off that rodeo road trip, where the Spurs have to be really rested going into Wednesday night's game, that's that's three full days off, yeah. which is pretty rare for an NBA regular season game. Yeah, um, I, you know, I'm with you too, where I think the Spurs are going to take this one. Uh, for two reasons, you know, like you mentioned, uh, just the lack of talent on Phoenix's roster. They are young, but I don't mm-hmm. think they can put it together. And also, Phoenix is trying to lose right now. They're trying to get, you know, as high yeah. as high as possible in the lottery uh, to, to get a really good draft pick. You know, you can see, like you mentioned, from that Monroe um, uh, waiver where, where they're trying to basically ch- try to tank, you know, which they should be doing at this point with the, with the young mm-hmm. roster. Um, you know, and, and back to what you just mentioned uh, about the whole having three days off for the Spurs. I had, uh, you know, the other night at the game, I was having dinner with Paul Castro of the Spurs as a play-by-play announcer in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And he basically says that aside from the All-Star break, these three days off are like the only time they're going to have this all season until the playoffs get here. So I was like, wow. he's like, yeah, he told me, like, enjoy it. So it's actually been nice to have these few days off. Okay, um, then, Jeff, on Saturday, uh, the Spurs played the Warriors. Uh, the Warriors are in, in Golden State, should I say, in, in the, the Bay Area. Uh, the Warriors are 41-12, and 12, best team in the NBA by record. Uh, they're 7-3 in their last 10. Offensively, 114.9 points per 100. Uh, defensively, 6th, 105.8 points per 100. Uh, you and I are recording this uh, Tuesday evening, so this is before they play the, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, and these stats I'm getting are, are from cleanintheglass.com. Uh, who do you have in this one between the Spurs and Warriors Saturday night? I mean, I... I like the Warriors. Listen, this is an extremely tough spot to be in for the Spurs at Golden State, a primetime game. Golden State hasn't been particularly clicking, but one of those one of their recent losses was on the second night of back-to-back in Denver, which, as we know, is one of the toughest second nights of back-to-backs in the entire NBA. They lost in Utah, which is a tough place to play. They lost at Houston. This Warriors team, though, Paul, it's, it's just unbelievable. So every time I get a chance to take them at Oracle Arena on their home floor, 
I'm going to have to take them. It will help the Spurs if they have Rudy Gay back. I think there's a chance that he'll be at least questionable for Saturday night's game. I don't think it's likely that he will play, but I think he will be needed if the Spurs are to have a chance in Golden State. Okay, I'm, I'm with you. I think I'm taking Golden State in this one. Uh, you know, just the Spurs are going to hit some point where they just can't score the ball for, for, for maybe like six or seven possessions. And that's it. Yeah, Golden and then you're done. Golden State's going to go up like 12 or 15, and then the night's over, um, you know, despite how hard the Spurs will try to play. Um, I think a trend I've seen with this Spurs team without Kawhi is that whenever they play a top-10 defense, they, they usually – it's going to point in, in an area for a loss or just a night where they just going to hit one of these walls where they just cannot score mm. the basketball, you know, regardless of how good they're playing defensively. Okay, so you and I both have the Warriors there. Uh, then on Monday, the Spurs travel to Utah, who they just played on Saturday. Uh, the Jazz are 25 and 28, 10, 10th in the West. They are on a six-game winning streak and are eight and two in their last ten. Uh, offensively, they're 18th, 107 points for 100. Defensively, they are eighth in the league, 106.3 points for 100. Who do you have Monday night in Utah? Well, Paul, like you mentioned, the Jazz have been playing really, really well as of late. Um, it's no coincidence that that corresponds with the return of Rudy Gobert to their lineup, who has dealt with injuries throughout the course of the season. I'm going to go out on, on another limb and say that Ricky Rubio does not hit his first nine <laughs> shots of the game and does not score 34 points. And I, I think the Spurs see this as, you know, a bit of a revenge spot. I, I think there's a little bit of narrative that comes into this one when you think, as a Spurs player, well, Utah just came into our house and effectively crushed us. So let's do the same thing in their place. Now, Utah's a tough place to play, but I'm going to lean the Spurs in a close competitive game. Okay, wow. Okay, so that's kind of where we differ for the first time. Um, okay, okay, good. I like it. I, I, I would normally say this. Also, I, I would be with you where I say, yeah, it's a revenge game. The Spurs are going to win it. One, uh, and Rubio won't have another green night like that, neither will Royce. But, <laughs> right. I think, right. yeah, I think for sure there's a chance, though, that they see Donovan Mitchell for the first time this season. Good um, point. Uh, against for Utah, you know, we don't know if he'll play. Um, you know, the Jazz could actually look very different, too, because this will be past the trade deadline where they, they may have traded. Um, Rodney Hood's been on, on in rumors. Uh, Derek Favors has been in rumors. So I think if they have this Jazz team as they're constructed right now, I'm going to give it to Utah. Again, I go back to that whole top 10 thing where I just feel like Utah's eighth in the league defensively. They have Rudy Gobert there. When, when you can just have, have a defense that makes Aldridge's night difficult. Yeah. I, don't, I don't, honestly don't know who's going to show up for the Spurs as their second and third scorer each, each, each of those games. So I'm actually going to take um, Utah on this one. I might be wrong, but I'm going to go ahead and take them. Well, and the, I mean, the Jazz are the third best home defense in the league. So like mm -hmm. we said, it's a tough place to play. Gobert's back in the lineup. I do think the Spurs will match up pretty well with Donovan Mitchell specifically, mm -hmm. just because I feel like he's a guy who Danny Green could see some looks against, who Kyle Anderson could see. We might see a Darren Hilliard or Brandon Paul off the bench against him. But I do completely completely see where you're going and, and why you are leaning Utah. Yeah. Um, the next night, uh, the Spurs, it's a, it's a back-to-back. -back, so the next night they travel to Denver on Tuesday next week. Uh, the Nuggets are 29-25, and 25, six in the, in the West. Uh, they're six and four in the last 10. Offensively, uh, they're seventh in the league, 110.1 points for 100. Defensively, 21st, 109.1 points for 100. Uh, who do you have on, in this one on the second night of a back-to-back? Um, I, I like the Nuggets. We mentioned it a little bit earlier. It's just it's too tough of a of a spot. You know, ESPN does. Um, I you know I forget what they call it, but it, it, 
they go along with the format of scheduled losses, Mm -hmm. where you look at the schedule at the very beginning of the season or at the very beginning of each month, what have you, and you you just circle some games where you're like, that's just a loss. That's the way the NBA scheduled it, and that's a loss. And the second night of a back-to-back in Denver is one of the toughest spots you can be in in the NBA. As far as against the spread numbers are concerned, the toughest spots are Golden State, are San Antonio and Denver on second nights of back-to-back. And without a full-strength team, it's hard for me to see the Spurs winning in Denver. What do you think? Uh, I'm with you as well. Uh, and, and here's the thing. I, I don't like you know saying that the Spurs are going to lose two in a row, but on this time I am just because for two reasons. <laughs> Last week they made me mad because I got them wrong. My prediction, I, I thought they'd beat the Jazz and lose to the to the to the Rockets, so okay. <laughs> I was okay. wrong on my own prediction. So <laughs> I kind of, it out on them. I want to kind of be closer to being right. Yeah, um, that's part of it. But also, I really feel like they're gonna they're gonna go for that Utah game. They're gonna go for that win, and the Nuggets yeah. win is a scheduled loss. But I I just I, like I said I just can't see it. I got they got to prove it to me that they're gonna beat Utah in Utah um, with Rudy Gobert with Donovan Mitchell, and I'm not sure that without Kawhi Leonard without Rudy Gay this Spurs team can do it right now. So, you know, I may be wrong. Who knows? Maybe they go two and two like you're, like you're predicting here. But I think they're going to go one and three. I think they're going to lose that second night to Denver. They'll be a little bit tired. I think there's a chance Pop uh, rests some players as well. Um, so, so who knows? Uh, so, so we'll see how they, how they go during these next four games to start the rodeo road trip. Yeah, like on the one hand, I could see Pop just pulling everybody on that second night of the back-to-back in Denver. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I could also see him thinking – well, that's the last game before the All-Star break. Yes. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have plenty of time to rest. So maybe he'll give it a quarter or two and then pull everybody if it's not going to be a competitive game in his eyes. I, I don't know. That'll be interesting to see. Yeah, that, that's definitely something to watch, too, is, is you know, how, how does he manage it? And especially, you know, if the Utah game goes, it doesn't go down the wire, let's say they either win or lose by a pretty comfortable margin, then I think he, for sure he could play a lot of guys more minutes that second night. Uh, yeah, so, very true. Very and, true. you know, the Nuggets, too, may not look like the, the Denver Nuggets we see right now. They're, they've been rumored to have uh, a lot of their players on the blocks, guys like Wilson Chandler. Um, I, I think uh, Emmanuel Moody has been in, in, in trade discussions, Kenneth Fareed. So there's a bunch of players right now that for these teams that, that may not be there uh, come come next week when the Spurs do play these teams. Um, well, the Nuggets have a, have a ton of assets, and they always seem to have a ton of assets every single year. So <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if they pulled the trigger on a deal. Yeah, for sure. Um, thanks again, Jeff, for coming on, man, um, for, for coming on your first time being on the Spurs cast. Uh, Spurs, uh, Spurs cast listeners, please follow him on Twitter, at Jeff Platt. Um, thanks, man. Hey, you got it, Paul. Big fan of your work. I appreciate the time. Thanks, man. Take care. Thanks again to Jeff for joining me on SpursCast episode 482. If you're on Twitter, please follow him at Jeff Platt. Just a reminder to, uh, if you have any questions regarding the Spurs, please send them to hashtag SpursCast and I'll make sure to answer them next week on the episode. Um, If you're on Twitter, please follow us, our accounts at Project Spurs, at ATLeague underscore NBA, at the SpursCast and at Project Spurs Network. Visit us online at ProjectSpurs.com, AnalyzingTheLeague.com, and ProjectSpurs.net. If you're listening to this on iTunes, please also leave us a rating and review. We'd really appreciate that. Uh, just one final reminder that if the Spurs do make a trade before Thursday or on Thursday, should I say, um, you know, any kind of trade it could be for picks, could be for a player. Uh, I will make sure to, to put an emergency Spurs cast up just to kind of break down the trade from from a roster roster perspective. Who do they bring in? You know, who went out? And then also from a financial perspective, you know, what money are they bringing in? What money goes out? Uh, how, how will it affect the upcoming summer and free agency? 
So, um, again, that's only if they make a trade. I'll make sure to put another Spurs cast up. Just kind of going into detail about that trade if they do make one. Um, Thank you again, and have a great day. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.